Story two of The Furthest Reaches of Space. Ed Reed, Shirt Sci-Fi, Volume 8. The Sense of Wonder by Melton Lesser. Every day for a week now, Rickard had come to the viewport to watch the great changes sweep of space. He could not quite explain the feelings within him. They were so alien, so unnatural. But ever since the engines somewhere in the rear of the world had changed their tone, from the steady whining Rickard had heard all twenty-five years of his life to the sullen roar that came to his ears now, the feelings had grown. If anyone else had noticed the change, he failed to mention it. This disturbed Rickard, although he could not tell why. And because he had realized this art of difference in himself, he kept it locked up inside him. Today, space looked somehow different. The stars. It was a meaningless concept to Rickard, but that was what everyone called the bright pinpoints of light and the black backdrop in the viewport were not apparent in the speckled profusion Rickard had always known. Instead, there was more of the blackness, and one very bright star set apart by itself in the middle of the viewport. If he had understood the term, Rickard would have told himself this was odd. His head ached with the half-born thought. It was, it was, what was it? Someone was clumping up the companionway behind Rickard. He turned and greeted grey-haired old Charles. Five more years, the older man chided. They'll be ready to sire children, and all you can do in the meantime is gaze out at the stars. Rickard knew he should be exercising now, or bathing in the rays of the health lamps. It had never occurred to him that he didn't feel like it. He just didn't, without comprehending. Charles' reminder fostered uneasiness. Often Rickard had dreamed of the time he would be thirty and a father. Whom would the calculator select as his mate? The first time this idea had occurred to him, Rickard ignored it. But it came again, and each time it left him with a feeling he could not explain. Why should he think thoughts that no other man had? Why should he think he was thinking such thoughts? And it always embroiled him in a hopeless, infinite confusion that left him with a headache. Charles said, it is time for my bath in the healthways. I saw you here and knew it was your time, too. His voice trailed off. Wicked knew that something which he could not explain had entered the elder man's head for a moment, but it had departed almost before Charles knew of its existence. I'll go with you, Rickard told him. A hardly perceptible purple glow pervaded the air in the room of the healthways. Perhaps two score men lay about naked under the ray tubes. Charles stripped himself and selected the space under a vacant tube. Rickard, for his part, wanted to get back to the viewport and watch the one new bright star. He had the distinct notion it was growing larger every moment. He turned to go, but the door clicked shut, and a metallic voice said, Fifteen minutes under the tubes, please. Rickard muttered to himself and undressed. The world had begun to annoy him. Now why should a man be permitted to do what he wanted, when he wanted to do it? There was a strange thought, and Rickard's brain whirled once more down the torturous course of half-formed questions and unsatisfactory answers. He'd even wondered what it was like to get hurt. No one ever got hurt. Once here in this same ray room, he had had the impulse to hurl himself headfirst against the wall just to see what would happen. But something soft had cushioned the impact, something which had come to being just for the moment and then abruptly passed into non-being again something which was as impalpable as air. 
Rickard had been stopped in this action, although there was no real authority to stop him. This puzzled him, because somehow he felt that there should have been authority. A long time ago, the reading machine in the library had told him of the elders, a meaningless term, who had governed the world. They told you to do something, and you did it. But that was silly, because no one told you to do anything. You only listened to the buzzer. And Rickett could remember the rest of what the reading machine had said. There had been a revolt, again at home without any real meaning, a term that could have no reality outside of the reading machine, and the elders were overthrown. Here Rickett had been lost utterly. The people had decided that they did not know where they were going, or why, and that it was unfair that the elders alone had this authority. They were born, and they lived, and they died as the elders directed, like little cogs in a great machine. Much of this Rickard could not understand, but he knew enough to realize that the reading machine had sided with the people against the elders, and it said the people had won. Now in the health room, Rickard felt a warmth in the rays. Grudgingly, he had to admit to himself that it was not unpleasant. He could see the look of easy contentment in Chell's face as the rays fanned down upon him, bathing his old body in a forgotten magic which many generations before Rickard's time had negated the necessity for a knowledge of medicine. But when in another ten years Charles would perish of old age, the rays would no longer suffice. Nothing would for Charles. Rickard often thought of his own death, still seventy-five years in the future, not without a sense of alarm. Yet old Charles seemed heedless, with only a decade to go. Under the tube at Rickard's left lay Quifer, the man was short and heavy through the shoulders and chest, and he had a lame foot. Every time Rickard looked at that foot, it was with a sense of satisfaction. True, this was the only case of its kind, the exception to the rule, but it proved the world was not perfect. Rickard was guiltily glad when he saw Quifer limp. But if anyone else saw it, he never said a word, not even Quifer. Now, Quifer said, I've been reading again, Rickard. Yes? Now as no one read any more, and the library was heavy with the smell of dust. Reading represented initiative on the part of Quifer. It meant that in the two unoccupied hours before his sleep, he went to the library and listened to the reading machine. Everyone else simply sat about and talked. That was the custom. Everyone did it. But if he wasn't reading himself, Rickard usually went to sleep. All the people ever talked about was what they had done during the day. And it was always the same. Yes, said Quifer. I found a book about the stars. They are also called astronomy, I think. This was a new thought to Rickard, and he popped his head up on one elbow. What did you find out? That's about all. They're just called astronomy, I think. Well, where's the book? Rickard would read it tomorrow. I left it in the library. You can find several of them under astronomy, with a cross-reference under stars. They're synonymous terms. You know, Rickard said, sitting up now, the stars in the viewport are changing. Changing? Quifer questioned the fuzzy concept as much as he questioned what it might mean in this particular case. Yes, there are less of them, and one is bigger and brighter than the others. Astronomy says some stars are variable, Quifer offered, but Rickard knew his lame-footed companion understood the word no better than he did. Over on Rickard's right, Charles began to dress. Variability, he told them, is a contradictory term. Nothing is variable. It can't be. I'm only saying what I read in the book, Quifer protested mildly. Well, it's wrong. Variability and change are two words without meaning. People grow old, Rickard suggested. The buzzer signified that his fifteen minutes under the rays were up, and Charles said, It's almost time for me to eat. 
wicked frown. Charles hadn't even seen the connection between the two concepts, yet it was so clear. Nor was it. He had had it a moment ago, but now it faded, and change and all were just two words. His own buzzer sounded a moment later, and it was with a strange feeling of elation that he dressed and made his way back to the viewport. When he passed the door which led to the woman's half of the world, however, he paused. He wanted to open that door and see a woman. He had been told about them, and he had seen pictures, and he dimly remembered his childhood among women. But his feelings had changed. This was different. Again, there were inexplicable feelings, strange channelings of Rickard's energy in new and confusing direction. She shrugged and reserved the thought for later. He wanted to see the stars again. The view had changed, and the strangeness of it made Rickard's pulses leap with excitement. All the stars were paler now than before, and where Rickard had seen the one bright central star, he now saw a globe of light, white with a tinge of blue in it, and so bright that it hurt his eyes to look. Yes, hurt. Rickard looked and looked, until his eyes teared and he had to turn away. Here was an unknown factor which the perfect world failed to control. But how could a star change into a blinking blue-white globe, if indeed that was the star Rickard had seen earlier? There was that word change again. Didn't it have something to do with age? Rickard couldn't remember, and he suddenly wished he could read Kreifer's book on astronomy, which meant the same as stars, except that it was variable, which was like change being tied up somehow with age. Presently Rickard became aware that his eyes were not tearing any longer, and he turned to look at the viewport. What he saw now was so new they couldn't at first accept it. Instead he blinked and rubbed his eyes, sure that the ball of blue-white fire somehow had damaged them, but the new view persisted. Of stars there were few, and of the blackness almost nothing. Gone, too, was the burning globe. Something loomed there in the port, so huge that it spread out over almost the entire surface. Something big and round, all greys and greens and browns, and something for which Rickard had no name. A few moments more, and Rickard no longer could see the sphere. A section of it had expanded outward, and assumed the rectangular shape of the viewport, and its size as well. It seemed neatly sheared down the middle, so that on one side Rickard saw an expanse of brown and green, and on the other, blue. Startled, Rickard leaped back. The sullen roar in the rear of the world had ceased abruptly. Instead, an ominous silence broken at regular intervals by sharp booming. Change. Won't you eat, Rickard? Charles called from somewhere down below. Damn the man, Rickard thought, then aloud. Yes, I'll eat. Later. It's time, Charles' voice trailed off again impotently. But Rickard forgot the old man completely. A new idea occurred to him, and for a while he struggled with it. What he saw, what he had always seen, except that now there was the added factor of change, perhaps did not exist in the viewport. Maybe it existed through the viewport. It was maddening. Rickard turned again to the port where he could see nothing but an obscuring cloud of white vapour, murky, swirling, more confusing than ever. Charles, he called, remembering. Come here. I am here, said a voice at his elbow. Rickard whirled on the little figure and pointed to the swirling cloud of vapour. What do you see? Charles looked. The viewport, of course. What else? Else? Nothing. Anger whirled up inside Rickard. All right, he said. Listen, what do you hear? Broom, broom, broom. Charles imitated the intermittent blasting of the engines. I'm hungry, Rickard. 
The old man turned and strode off down the corridor toward the dining room, and Wicked was glad to be alone once more. Now the vapour had departed, except for a few tenuous wisps. For a moment Wicked thought he could see the gardens rearward in the world. But that was silly. What are the gardens doing in the viewport? Besides, Wicked had the distinct feeling that here was something far vaster than the gardens, although all of it existed in the viewport, which was no wider than the length of his body. The gardens, moreover, did not jump and dance before his eyes the way the viewport gardens did. Nor did they spin. Nor did the trees grow larger with every jolt. Wicked sat down hard. He blinked. The world had come to rest on the garden of the viewport. For a whole week that view did not change, and Wicked had come to accept it as fact. There, through the viewport and in it, was a garden. A garden larger than the entire world. A garden of plants which Rickard had never seen before, although he had always liked to stroll through the world's garden, and he had come to know every plant well. Nevertheless, it was a garden. He told Charles, but Charles had responded, It is the viewport. Cryfer, on the other hand, wasn't so sure. It looks like the garden, he admitted to Rickard, but why should the garden be in the viewport? Somehow Rickard knew the question for a healthy sign, but he could not tell them of his most amazing thought of all. The change in the viewport could mean only one thing. The world had been walking. The word seemed all wrong to Rickett, but he could think of no other unless it were running. The world had been walking somewhere. That somewhere was the garden, and the world had arrived. It is an old picture of the garden, Charles suggested, and the plants are different. And they've changed? No, merely different. Well, what about the viewport? It's changed. Where are the stars? Where are they, Charles, if it did not change? The stars come out at night. So there is a change from day to night. I didn't say that. The stars simply shine at night. Why should they shine during the day when the world wants them to shine only at night? Once they shine all the time. Naturally, said Quaffer, becoming interested. They are variable. Wicked regretted that he never had the chance to read that book on astronomy. He hadn't been reading too much lately. The voice of the reading machine had begun to bore him. He said, well, variable or not, a whole perspective has changed. And when Charles looked away in disinterest, Rickard became angry. If only the man would realize, if only anyone would realize. It all seemed so obvious. If he, Rickard, walked from one part of the world to another, it was with a purpose. To eat, or to sleep, or perhaps to bathe in the health ways. Now, if the world had walked from somewhere to the vast star-speckled darkness, and to the great garden outside, this also was purposeful. The world had arrived at the garden for a reason. But if everyone lived as if the world still stood in blackness, how could they find the nature of that purpose? "'I will eat,' Charles said, breaking Rickard's reverie. Damn the man, all he did was eat. Yet he did have initiative after a sort. He knew when to eat, because he was hungry. And Rickard, too, was hungry.' differently. He had long wondered about the door in the back of the library, and now, as Kreifer sat cross-legged on one of the dusty tables, reading machine and book on astronomy or stars in his lap, Rickard approached the door. "'What's in here?' he demanded. "'It's a door, I think,' said Kreifer. "'I know, but what's beyond it?' "'Beyond it? Oh, you mean through the door?' "'Yes.' "'Well,' Kreifer scratched his head, "'I don't think anyone ever opened it. It's only a door.' "'I will,' said Rickard. You will what? Open it. I'm on the door and look inside. A long pause, then. Can you do it? 
I think so. You can't, probably. How can anyone go where no one has been before? There's nothing. It just isn't. It's only a door, Rickard. No, Rickard began. But the words faded off into a sharp intake of breath. Rickard had turned the knob and pushed. The door opened silently, and Quifer said, Doors are variable, too, I think. Rickard saw a small room, perhaps half a dozen paces across, at the other end of which was another door, just like the first. Halfway across, Rickard heard a voice, not unlike that of the reading machine. He missed the beginning, but then, Therefore, permit no unauthorized persons to go through this door. The machinery in the next room is your protection against the rigors of space. A thousand years from now, journey's end. You may have discarded it for something better. Who knows? But if you have not, then here is your protection. As nearly as possible, this ship is a perfect, self-sustaining world. It is more than that. It is human-sustaining as well. Try to hurt yourself, and the ship will not permit it. Within limits, of course. But you can damage the ship. And to avoid any possibility of that, no unauthorized persons are to be permitted through this door. Rickard gave the voice up as hopeless. There were too many confusing words. What in the world was an unauthorized person? More interesting than that, however, was the second door. Would it lead to another voice? Rickard hoped that it wouldn't. When he opened the door, a strange new noise filled his ears, a gentle humming punctuated by a throb, 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 which sounded not unlike the booming of the engines last week except that this new sound didn't blast nearly so loudly against his eardrums. And what met Rickard's eyes? He blinked and looked again, but it was still there. Cogs and gears and wheels and nameless things, all strange and beautiful, because they shone with a luster unfamiliar to him. Odd, Rickard said aloud. Then he thought, now there's a good word, but no one seems to know its meaning. Odder still was the third door. Rickard suddenly thought there might exist an endless succession of them especially when the third one opened on a bare tunnel, which led to yet another door. Only this one was different. In it, Rickard saw the viewport. But how? The viewport stood on the other end of the world. It did seem smaller, and although it looked out on the garden, Rickard sensed that the topography was different. Then the garden extended even farther than he had thought. It was endless, extending all the way to a ridge of mounds way off in the distance. And this door one could walk through into the garden, Rickard put his hand on the door, all the while watching the garden through the new viewport. He began to turn the handle. Then he trembled. What would you do out in the garden? He couldn't go alone. He'd die of the strangeness. It was a silly thought. No one ever died of anything until he was a hundred. Rickard couldn't fathom the rapid thumping of his heart, and Rickard's mouth felt dry. He wanted to swallow, but couldn't. Slowly he took his hand off the door lever. He made his way back through the tunnel, and then through the room of machinery, and finally through the little room with a confusing voice to Quifer. By the time he reached the lame-footed man Rickard was running, he did not dare once to look back. He stood shaking at Quifer's side, and sweat covered him in a clammy film. He never wanted to look at the garden again, but when he knew there was a door through which he could walk, and then might find himself in the garden. Three or four days passed before Rickard calmed himself enough to talk about his experience. When he did, only Quifer seemed at all interested. Yet the lame-footed man's mind was inadequate to cope with the situation. He suggested that the viewport might also be variable, and Rickard found himself wishing that his friend had never read that book on astronomy. Charles did not believe Rickard at all. 
There are not that many doors in the world, he said. The library has a door and there's a door to the women's quarters. In five years, a calculator will send you through that, but there are no others. Charles smiled an indulgent smile and Rickard came nearer to him. Now, by the world, there are two other doors. Rickard began to shout, and everyone looked at him queerly. What are you doing that for? demanded Vilm, who was shorter even than Quaffer, but had no lame foot. Doing what? Speaking so loudly of Charles, who is close, obviously has no trouble hearing you. Maybe yelling will make him understand. Quaffer hobbled about on his good foot, doing a meaningless little jig. Why don't we go see? he suggested. Then, confused, he frowned. Well, I won't go, Charles replied. There's no reason to go. If Rickard had been imagining things, why should I? I imagine nothing. I'll show you. You'll show me nothing, because I won't go. Rickard grabbed Charles' blouse with his big fist. Then, startled by what he did, his hands began to tremble. But he held on. He tugged at the blouse. Stop that, said the older man mildly. Quiffer hopped up and down. Look what Rickard's doing. I don't know what he's doing, but look. He's holding Charles's blouse. Stop that, repeated Charles, his face reddening. Only if you'll go with me, Rickard was panting. Charles tugged at his wrist. By this time a crowd had gathered. Some of them watched Cryfer jump up and down, but most of them watched Rickard holding Charles's blouse. I think I can do that, declared Willem, clutching a fistful of Cryfer's shirt. Presently the members of the crowd had pretty well paired off, each partner grabbing for his companion's blouse. They giggled and laughed, and some began to hop up and down as Cryfer had done. A buzzer sounded, and automatically Rickard found himself releasing Charles. Charles said, forgetting the incident completely, time to retire. In a moment the room was cleared. Rickard stood alone. He cleared his throat and listened to the sound, all by itself in the stillness. What would have happened if they hadn't retired? But they always did things punctually like that. Whenever the buzzer sounded, they ate with the buzzer, bathed in the health rays with it, slept with it. What would they do if the buzzer stopped buzzing? This frightened Rickard, although he didn't know why. He'd like it, though. Maybe then he could take them outside with him to the big garden of the two viewports, and then he wouldn't be afraid because he could huddle close to them and he wouldn't be alone. Rickard heard the throbbing again as he stood in the room of the machinery. For a long time he watched the wheels and cogs and gears spinning and humming. He watched, for he knew not how long, and then he began to wonder. If he destroyed the wheels and the cogs and the gears, would the buzzer stop? probably would, because as Rickard saw it, he was clearly an unauthorized person. He had heard the voice again upon entering the room. He found a metal rod, bright and shiny, three foot long and half as wide as his arm. He tugged at it, and it came loose from the wires that held it in place. He hefted it carefully for a moment, and then he swung the bar into the mass of metal. Each time he heard a grinding and crashing sound. He looked as the gears and cogs and wheels crumbled under his blows, shattered by the strength of his arm. Almost casually he strode about the room, but his blows were not casual. Soon his easy strides had given way to frenzied running. Rickard smashed everything in sight. When the lights winked out, he stopped. Anyway, by that time the room was a shambles of twisted, broken metal. He laughed softly at first, but presently he was roaring, and the sound doubled and redoubled in his ears, because now the throbbing had stopped. He opened the door and ran through the little corridor to the smaller viewport. Outside he could see the stars, and dimly the terrain beneath them, but everything was so dark that only the stars shone clearly. All else was bathed in a shadow of unreality. Rickard never wanted to do anything more than he wanted to open that door, but his hands trembled too much when he touched it, and once when he pressed his face close against the viewport there in the darkness, something bright flashed briefly through the sky and was gone. Whimpering, he fled. 
All around Rickard were darkness and hunger and thirst. The buzzer did not sound because Rickard had silenced it forever, and no one went to eat or drink. Rickard himself had fumbled through the blackness and the whimpering to the dining room, his tongue dry and swollen, but the smooth belt that flowed with water and with savoury dishes did not run any more. The machinery, Rickard realised, also was responsible for food. Charles said over and over, "'I'm hungry.' "'We will eat and we will drink when the buzzer tells us,' Willem replied confidently. "'It won't any more,' Rickard said. "'What won't?' "'The buzzer will not sound again.' "'I broke it,' Trifer growled. "'I know. You shouldn't have done it. "'That was a bad thing you did, Rickard.' "'It was not bad. "'The world has moved through the blackness and the stars, "'and now we should go outside to live in the big garden there beyond the viewport.' "'That's ridiculous,' Charles said. Even Cryfer now was angry at Rickard. He broke the buzzer and no one can eat. I hate Rickard, I think. There was a lot of noise in the darkness, and someone else said, I hate Rickard. Then everyone was saying it. Rickard was sad. Soon he would die, because no one would go outside with him. He could not go outside alone. In five more years he would have had a woman, too. He wondered if it was dark and hungry in the women's quarters. Did women eat? Perhaps they ate plants. Once in the garden, Rickard had broken off a frond and tasted it. It had been bitter, but not unpleasant. Maybe the plants in the viewport would even be better. We will not be hungry if we go outside, he said. We can eat there. We can eat if the buzzer sounds, but it is broken, Tull said dully. Cryfer shrilled. Maybe it's only variable and will buzz again. No, Rickard assured him. It won't. Then you broke it and I hate you, said Cryfer. We should break you too to show you how it is to be broken. We must go outside, through the viewport. Rickard listened to the odd gurgling sound his stomach made. A hand reached out in the darkness and grabbed at his head. He heard Greifer's voice. I have Rickard's head! The voice was nasty, hostile. Greifer more than anyone had been his friend. But now that he had broken the machinery, Greifer was his enemy. Because Greifer came nearer to understanding the situation than anyone, except Rickard. The hand reached out again, and it struck Rickard hard across the face. It hit him! I hit him. Other hands reached out, and Rickard stumbled. He fell, and then someone was on top of him, and he struggled. He rolled and was up again, and he did not like the sound of the angry voices. Someone said, Let's do to Rickard what he did to the machinery. Rickard ran. In the darkness his feet prodded many bodies. There were those who were too weak to rise. Rickard, too, felt a strange light-headedness and a gnawing hurt in his stomach. But it didn't matter. He heard the angry voices and the feet pounding behind him and he wanted only to get away. It was dark, and he was hungry, and everyone who was strong enough to run was chasing him. But every time he thought of the garden outside and how big it was, the darkness and the hunger and the people chasing him were unimportant. It was so big that it would swallow him up completely and positively. He became sickly giddy thinking about it. But if he didn't open the door and go into the garden outside, he would die, because he had no food, no water, and his stomach gurgled and grumbled and hurt, and everyone was chasing him. He stumbled through the darkness and felt his way back to the library, through the inner door and into the room with the voice, but the voice didn't speak this time, through its door and into the place of machinery. Behind him he could hear the voices at the first door, and he thought for a moment that no one would come after him, but he heard Cryfer yell something, and then feet pounding in the passage. Rickard tripped over something and sprawled awkwardly across the floor. He felt a sharp hurt in his head, and when he reached up to touch it with his hands, there in the darkness his fingers came away wet. He got up slowly and opened the next door. The voices behind him were closer now. Light streamed in through the viewport. After the darkness had frightened Rickard and made his eyes smart, and he could hear those behind him retreating to a safe distance. 
but the voices were not far away, and he knew they would come after him because they wanted to break him. Rickard looked out upon the garden, and he trembled. Oh, there was life. The garden stretched off in unthinkable immensity to the cluster of low mounds against the bright blue which roofed the many plants. If plants could live out there as they did within the world, then so could people. Rickard and his people should. This was why the world had moved across the darkness and the stars for all Rickard's lifetime and more. But he was afraid. He reached up and grasped the handle of the door, and he saw that his fingers were red with the wetness which had come from his hurt head. Slowly he slipped to the cool floor. How his head was burning, and for a long time he lay there, thinking he would never rise again. Inside he heard the voices again, and soon a foot and then another pounded on the metal of the passage. He heard Kreifer's voice louder than the rest. There was Rickard on the floor! Tugging at the handle of the door, Rickard pulled himself upright. Something small and brown scurried across the other side of the viewport, and Rickard imagined it turned to look at him with two hideous red eyes. Rickard screamed and hurtled back through the corridor, and his face was so terrible in the light streaming in through the viewport that everyone fled before him. He stumbled again in the place of the machinery, and down on his hands and knees, he found all the bits of metal which he could see in the dim light through the open door. "'Where's the buzzer?' he sobbed. "'I must find the buzzer!' Kreifer's voice from the darkness inside said, "'You broke it! You broke it! And now we will break you!' Rickett got up and ran. He reached the door again, and then he slipped down against it, exhausted. Behind him the voices and the footsteps came, and soon he saw Kreifer's head peer in through the passageway. Then there were others, and then they were walking toward him. His head whirled, and the viewport seemed to swim in a haze. Could it be variable, as Kreifer had suggested? He wondered if the scurrying brown thing waited somewhere, and nausea struck at the pit of his stomach. But if the plants could live out there, and the scurrying thing could live, and that was why the world had moved through the blackness, and so could he live out there, and Kreifer and all the others. So tightly did he grip the handle that his fingers began to hurt, and his heart pounded hard, and he felt the pulses leaping on either side of his neck. He stared out into the garden and off into the distance where the blue-white globe, which might have been a star, stood just above the row of mounds. Kreifer was tugging at him, trying to pull him away from the door, and someone was grabbing at his legs trying to make him fall. He kicked out and the hands let go, and then he turned the handle and shoved the weight of his body with all his strength against the door. It opened and he stepped outside into the warmth. The air was fresh, fresher than any air Rickard had ever breathed. He walked around aimlessly, touching the plants and bending down to feel the floor, and sometimes he looked at the blue-white globe and horizon. It was all very beautiful. Neither ship, water that did not come from a machine, gurgled across the land, and Rickard lay down and drank. It was cool and good, and when he got up, Kreifer and Vilm were outside the world, and some of the others followed. They stood around for a long time before going to the water to drink. Rickard sat down and tore off a piece of a plant, munching on it. It was good. Kreifer picked his head up from the water, his chin wet. Even feelings are variable. I don't hate you now, Rickard. Rickard smiled, staring at the ship. People are variable too, Kreifer. That is, if those creatures coming from the ship are people. They're women, said Kreifer. They were strangely shaped in some ways, and yet in others completely human, and their voices were high, like singing. Rickard found them oddly exciting. He liked them. He liked the garden for all its hugeness. There's so many people, and especially now with women, he was not afraid. It was much better than the small world of machinery, buzzer, frightening doors, and women by appointment only. Rickard felt at home.